Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today I'm joined by Jamie Perkins to talk about Warhammer Fantasy Battle. He mm. thinks, he says, che- checks notes. <laughs> What? What's going on? Um, yeah, so we are going to be talking about uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battle and Age of Sigmar uh, together based off a series of quite interesting tweets that Jamie uh, kicked out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, before, we'll dive straight in, Jamie. But if you want to introduce yourself and kind of tell the listeners why you're here specifically. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Jamie Perkins. Uh, I have been an industry professional in uh, miniatures gaming for about five years now. I work for Steamforge Games, the producer of Gilball and Godtip. Um, and I've, as a, you know, a lot of gamers have been gaming for a very long time, about, about 20 or so years now. Um, and even though I don't have, I'll just come out there straight away and say it, I have never played a game of Age of Sigma at all. Uh, the last time I played a Warhammer Fantasy Battle was 7th edition, so I'm not here necessarily to talk about how the games operate tactically, playing tournaments, as, as I know as you often as you do in your, your regular show. Um, but uh, what the, I think all the expertise uh, I bring to the table is that I have a very um, a great interest and passion about the gaming industry in general. What companies choose to do, what decisions they make, why, what the history is of the decisions they've made and how they kind of operate from a business perspective. Um, qu- quite often I'll see a lot of gamers as being a, being a gamer myself that we kind of get very impassioned about the beginning of games, the end of games. Why did this happen? Or I can't play with my toys anymore, which is a legitimate concern when we've spent a lot of money on them. But I'm very interested in, in wanting to know why the business decided to do that um and that's and having worked in the industry for as i say for about five years now i feel like i've got a a different perspective on that than than i did from before i worked in it Uh, and and it's just been interesting to sort of watch things happen as i've worked in the industry and then and sort of start to read a little bit more about what happened before i even worked in the industry as well and kind of what's led up to to today and and the the case study of of how warhammer fantasy battle led into age of sigma is one i think is particularly interesting um, and, and it's it's a great one to talk about. Definitely. And it seems a really great time to be doing it, given that we've just had the five-year anniversary of uh, Age of Sigmar. But also, we've just had the, uh, I want to say, fourth General's Handbook now. Someone correct me. But uh, we've just had another iteration of the General's Handbook, the GHB 2020. And those kind of two milestones, uh, one in terms of the anniversary uh, which is is a kind of significant anniversary in, t- in terms of the, the age of the game itself and the maturity of the system, but also the fact that we're seeing this regular, constant review and, you know, constant, I guess, in, in some people would argue with that and, and say that, you know, things are broken and they need changing immediately. But actually, I think, you know, a, a yearly or six monthly review is is fairly constant in terms of game design, especially when you, you compare it to uh, how uh, maybe large companies like Games Workshop have done things in the past um but i think that that choice to do the general's handbook and the way they've done it you know whether it's through community involvement uh, or uh the fact that they've got um you know people playing putting out the game in sort of a very fixed way in the sense that they're saying like this is if you want to play match play we understand we're trying to understand better that segment of the community and what they want from a game and if you do want to just push your dudes together and like make loud noises and shout war at people then there's also a place for that and i think you've seen that in the formalization of the three ways to play haven't you I was going to say, yeah, the three ways to play uh, really, really came uh, through that quite strongly. And it's, it shows a recognition from Games Workshop and the variety of different ways people do like to engage with the game systems. Even though it's probably fair to say that the vast majority of the market is, is casual players, they do have a, just sheerly through the massive following that they have, um, they'll have a lot of people that do want to play in, in organized play, in competitive events and campaign events. Um, and it's and it's great that they're recognizing there is value in in supporting all those different endeavors um and and you know they're obviously being very successful and i think there's there's i'm sure there's a, a psychologically biased uh, way of, of you know a psychologically pure way of expressing this bias uh but it's quite interesting because if you are a casual player and you don't really care about you know high end competitive play then you're not going to hang out on you know twitter or facebook talking about competitive warhammer so there's a whole bunch of people that are into match play who are very active on social media so it 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 almost see, it seems that the whole community is focused on match play whereas the community is so much more than what the the segment that we happen to follow on the internet or the the groups that we're part of on the internet and that's i think something that's 
really important for for me personally to make sure that I remain grounded in the realities of of the of the kind of situation that we that, that that we're in, which is we're playing a game that is sold to millions of people around the world, and that my perspective in the kind of UK competitive tournament scene is a mere fragment of a fragment of that. Absolutely, and, and just to just to add to that, actually, I I had uh, once a very similar, per, well, not similar perspective. You were actually just saying how you got a grounded perspective, but I, I had a very competitive perspective myself. <laughs> I, I think I said I, I tried um, to keep a grounded perspective, not necessarily that I have one. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair Aspirational. Point. <laughs> aspirational grounded perspective uh, so so I, I had a very competitive perspective myself uh sort of back in the day uh, i used to play so when i stopped playing warhammer fantasy 7th edition uh, i moved on to play uh, war machine which is a high, highly competitive game and they had that ethos uh, in the rule book didn't they they kind of said this is a right. this is particularly just dis- and you know we, we won't we won't discuss the, the the specifics of the wording of it i know that's that's there's plenty of that out there um but uh it basically said like war machine is a game that's designed to be cutthroat essentially wasn't it Precisely. Uh, and that was something I was very interested in at the time. And I thought that was like, this is the way to play games. Um, but then uh, going, making that transition to then actually working in the industry, I had my, I really had my eyes opened as to um, it's such a, it is quite often such a small subset of the community that actually is um, competitive. As you say, it's very loud. They tend to be the very active elements. And I believe there's a very, uh, quite a famous um article on magic the gathering from a good few years ago that talks about the invisible section of their community which is the people that don't play organized play events and it's very difficult to calculate how big that community is but given when you match up things like sheer sales stats um versus the amount of people that are turning up to organized play events then you start to get quite an interesting um perspective of 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 how large this non-competitive community is i think a a, a perspective a, a um a ratio that's banded around quite a bit between game designers sometimes is that you often hear that roughly 80% of your uh, market is casual players. And it's only about that 20% or so of people that will engage with organized play. And it seems like such a small group of people. But then when you, when you're looking at the revenue of someone like games workshop, that are making hundred plus million pound profit each year, year on year. It's quite clear that the gamer base is enormous, and the hundred or so people that turn up to regular events are an important part of the community. But they definitely don't make up anywhere near the majority. But they are very loud people, um, so they hear from them all the time. You know, hear from them all the time. You don't hear from this kind of invisible section that we've, that we've just mentioned. Yeah, and that's. I think that's the the when I say I try to remain grounded is you know when when I see people on um, you know st- you know starting arguments on Twitter about um, you know this one thing is broke has broken the game or ruined the game and it's. It's Games Workshop um, owes it to to its player base um, to to immediately fix it. Otherwise, you know that they're going to leave or quit or whatever. I, I think that the the pace at which we're seeing change now is, I think, the right pace. You know, it is quick in relative terms, um, and just because it's quicker than it was before doesn't mean that it couldn't be quicker. But I think I'm happy with how quick it is because what we don't want is essentially chasing our aim. We don't want the game kind of chasing its tail and, and, you know, fixing one thing without consideration of the other. And I think this kind of set six month, 12 month kind of uh, review system that they've got is allows the game to to exist in in kind of meta snapshots of like, yes, Slanesh was crazy, crazy. And that's just how the game was at the time. And that was a unique problem. And, um, you know, people could design their lists around that problem because it was an it was an open existing problem that people knew about. And, you know, n- then it was perhaps um, Osiok Bone Reapers, you know, with the with the plus one save that's recently changed. That is something that was incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, and, you know, if you came across it, if you weren't prepared for it, it would be an incredibly difficult game, <laughs> like a horrible game to play. And the same for, you know, some zinch lists. But like it's constantly evolving and constantly changing. And essentially, I guess you need to have these big bads to be the thing that you need to be prepared for i describe them as a necessary evil so there's a, there's a couple of points to talk about here um so the first one is is when you mentioned about the the regularity with which a game is edited or changed this is something that i've got quite a, um a hard line perspective on which is um i actually think they're doing it right they're doing it about exactly right so between six to 12 months 
is about as often as you really can afford to update a game. If you do it too often, you will you will end up exhausting your casual player base that do want to keep up to date with the most um, recent edition of the game, but they're not that interested in tournaments, but they also don't want to look at it every second week to check what has changed. Updating it once a year gives them a refreshed um, game to play with, gives them something to look at and get excited about, but it's something that you'll never get a situation where um, players have come back after a month of not playing because of something that's occurred, say COVID, for example, but there are other examples of why people wouldn't be able to play for a particular time and come back and go this entire game has changed and i don't want to have to relearn it um there's also an argument to talk about um not an argument there's also an interesting discussion when it comes to the depth of changes this is something i would know not as much about as i say i don't play actively play war uh play age of sigma sorry um but there's a a good argument to say to control the amount of changes and the in-depth change you make for the exact same reason you don't want to exhaust your casual player base because it's a very quick route for them to exit your game and go and play something else at the same time um you do need to keep it regular because you as you said you need your fan base to stay engaged um to 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 keep the interest with the game and, and honestly people people enjoy having something to figure out uh, and something to beat so it can become a stressor if it's there for too long and which is where the sort of the the last sort of maybe three to four months of a 12 month cycle is going to start to drag a little bit um but that's kind of a necessary evil uh, and, a, and a price that those players can need to pay in order for the game to survive with the casual player base uh, at the end of the day if you don't have a strong casual player base your game doesn't sell very well and the game might be be killed off which is an accidental segue into something we're going to talk about with Warhammer Fantasy, um, but but I've seen it happen time and again with with other game systems where, uh, where when Games Workshop kind of had this great awakening, whatever it was, six seven years ago, and they started doing things quite dramatically different to how they'd done it before, you saw games uh, like War Machine that had a massive competitive focus but didn't realize how much they relied upon their casual player base for the game to survive and the game still exists now but that that company's in a bad way um and i i worry for their future uh because they didn't properly react to what games workshop had done in the marketplace um, well you said it was an accidental segue but let's let's roll with it anyway um, sure. let's let's move on i guess to the, the subject at hand rather um, you launched a, a tweet, a series of tweets on uh, the 2nd of July, and if people want to find it, it's uh, at Jamie Perkins on Twitter. Um, all right, cracks knuckles, let's do this Age of Sigmar case study. Warhammer Fantasy Battle was the second big gaming system created by Games Workshop, released in 1983. It used rank-and-file infantry inspired by historical miniature games mixed with high fantasy. Um, whilst it had more retail success than specialist games like Battlefield Gothic and Blood Bowl, it never came close to matching the record-setting sales of GW's poster child, Warhammer 40k. So I guess the first question is, what was the main driver for change in terms of Warhammer Fantasy Battle? If we're going to put it really bluntly, why did Warhammer Fantasy Battle need to die? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bluntly. Um, the size, the sheer size of Games Workshop plays into it in a couple of different ways. Um, mainly, it gives them a source of resilience. It allows them to do a lot of things that a lot of smaller sort of indie companies can't do very much. And, and, and that in itself kind of typifies this whole thing. This is a, um, a very dramatic way to refresh a game that has been around for too long. Um, at the same time, though, the size of the company can can become an issue sometimes because they, they when they when they have their pride and joy games, and let's say that those two pride and joy games right now, I think it's fair to say, Rage of Sigmar and Warhammer Forty Thousand, formerly Warhammer Forty Thousand and Warhammer Fantasy Battle, those two games are needing to generate a heck of a lot of revenue. Um, when you have a disparity between those two poster children, but they're putting in an equal amount of effort into each one, that becomes a progressive problem over a large period of time uh, and what i think happened with um games workshop with uh, warmer fancy is that over a pro over a period of say something like five to ten years they started to really recognize that hey we're putting in equal amounts of effort here into into the game design game development into the miniature releases into the sculpting into the graphic design into the marketing into everything to do with these two games is roughly equal effort but we're getting so there's such a disparity of success. Not to say that Warhammer Fantasy Battle wasn't selling; it definitely was. But there was a there was a significant enough difference there for there to for Games Workshop to react and go, "This isn't good enough. We need to do something about this." Because um, ultimately, if we fix the problem, you know, and produce a game that is providing as much revenue, if not more than 40k, with the same amount of effort, um, yes, we'll probably need to invest a huge amount of effort in the start to kind of to kickstart it, yep. uh, as it were. That's just 
absolutely wasted opportunities right absolutely and, and and just lost lost capital at the end of the day for sure and the thing as well over that long period of time it becomes progressively bigger problem um so if you look at the vol the sheer volume again the size of games workshop is the kind of context for this point if you look at the sheer volume of miniatures that games workshop get through um they are they have their own factory set up printing out their own stuff which is in itself a unique element of the game industry that is very rare uh, most people do it uh, outsource their miniature uh, print producing um, but Games Workshop do it all in-house because they're dealing in such massive volumes. Now, what happen- and what they want to do is they want to sell miniature kits. Now, I'm not saying this in a way to poke fun at Games Workshop. Their philosophy as a company is to make beautiful hobby kits uh, and beautiful miniature kits you can play with. And they will put the amount of effort into their game design development. Is It's enough to keep people interested and enough to sell the game. Uh, as a side point, I have a theory that if people became uninterested in Games Workshop's games, that's where they would put like a greater degree of effort into the game design development because they're 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 trying to hit that standard where it's enough to facilitate selling the miniatures and that isn't saying oh look how bad games work games rules are written that's not what i'm trying to say i'm trying to say that the metric they have used is go this is the multiplier we need to add into this equation to sell more miniatures and that's perfectly fine it obviously works very well for them they make more money than anybody else in the industry you're essentially essentially saying like that the the game system needs to be and this, again this isn't this isn't meant to sound like a criticism of the game system but it's, it's meant to be playable and yeah you know, and to generate enough fun for people to want to continue to play it. And in order to play it, they need to buy these miniatures. And precisely, you could have the best system in the game and okay miniatures, and it wouldn't matter because because it's such a visual game and i think and and that's not to say again i like i i am a you know some people might call me a fanboy Um, i'm a huge fan of what games workshop does um and i do really enjoy the the rules i i think that sometimes sometimes they do get it wrong um sometimes there there is absolutely space for um i guess criticism um but what i say one of the two questions that um you you would have hopefully heard uh, in previous episodes uh, me ask is is what is the one thing uh that you would keep about age of sigma um and uh if the rest of the game is going to change and what is the one thing you would change if the rest of the game was going to stay for the same forever and every single time people give me something they would change i i try to ask them how would you change it because mm. it's very easy to say thing a is wrong or thing a needs changing but it takes a little bit of extra uh, nuance to kind of work out how it would change because otherwise you're just sat on the sideline shouting noise at them that, i would love to be able to have that as a topic of discussion by the way because <laughs> um at, at, you know, game i my day-to-day job is technically game development so that is um fine-tuning game balance fine-tuning the game experience uh, and there's a there's a lot to say on that point so the, the, i guess the way i could summarize it in this in the shortest possible way is to say that game development is like a rubik's cube you can't just take one small thing and change it and expect it to have no impact on the rest of everything that's going on as soon as you pick up one i guess another way of saying it is like it's one those tile games where you're trying to slide various things around with only one open space as soon as you move one element everything on the board has to shift um and you have to or at least have to take into into consideration everything else that's also going on i think we've previously um, on the podcast compared it to newton's third law right you know for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction precisely but yep. you're uh, almost adding more dimensions to this of saying for every action you've got a whole rubik's cube that's changing <laughs> you, you do and 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 to, to to again to summarize that you've got things like what is the faction identity is the change you want to make sure it might it might Im- improve the balance of the faction, but does it still ring true to the identity of the faction you're playing with? Does it dramatically change their playstyle outside of their design brief? Because it does. That's that. What you what you what you don't want is for people to be completely beeline thought on how competitive balance works and lose sight of how uh, of the flavor and the individual elements of what makes up each faction because if you just beeline for balance then what you end up going to doing it, you, you're going to completely lose your faction identity people all the factions are going to end up playing in a very similar way they'll all have all the tools and the answers they need and the strengths and weaknesses of a different faction are something that add um a huge degree of interest to how it how that plays so uh, I'll stop there, but I could carry on talking about that for quite a while. No, no, fair enough. And I think just to kind of to to go back way back to the point where I started saying um, about uh, you know average games and, and good managers. Yeah, if if a company made the world's best game ever and okay miniatures, it wouldn't it wouldn't sell particularly well. Yeah, I mean, you're you're. I was going to say you're describing the philosophy of most indie companies. They they look at what they should be doing. They look at the market leader. They look at Games Workshop and go, "What are you doing? How can we be different? Okay, we can't match you." 
for miniature quality we just can't you put too much effort into it your kits are beautiful so what we can do is we can put more effort into game development game design and have something that's slightly more complicated and it, it works in a different it intentionally works in different ways the games workshop systems and we'll sell it to you that way and the the, the truth of the matter is that no game outsells the games workshop systems particularly no game outsells 40k um and um you know age of sigmar is up there as well uh, so it, it it quite clearly works look at the numbers um and and you can essentially build the best miniatures in the world, and quite frankly, I, I genuinely believe they are, and build a game that um, has its has its rough edges at times, but is still one of one of the best uh, you know tabletop war games that I've I've played. Um, and and I guess that's biased by the fact that I've played it for a large component of my life. So when you're exposed to new things, um, it can sometimes feel different, and that that change is is uh, hard at times. But mm. I've having played games like Infinity, where it is you know people say, oh well, you know, forty k is too complex, or Age of Sigmar is too, you know, a great example was when uh, we had like the Malign Sorcery book, you had you know, um, you know, White Dwarf supplements for Slanesh, and people saying, oh, this is ridiculous, I've got to carry three or four different books around with me, and you're like, mm. have a look at the core book for Infinity, and tell me that Age of Sigmar is too complicated. Like, genuinely like that game it's an amazing game but they've put i think and, and their miniatures are um are very nice they, they are mm. lovely miniatures and they've, they've got a very anime aesthetic and that's not yep. you know not necessarily for everyone um but the game is almost it's almost like they've gone so deep into that real technical preciseness of the game that it for me who wants something slightly different from the game it loses something in doing that right and, and it's about it's about um as a company you're trying to go what what is our um what's the profit margin we're going for what is our philosophy as a company it needs to match that profit margin that we're aiming at and not to say it's just literally all about the numbers for everyone but but looking at this very shrewd perspective games workshop have gone this is what makes the most money our formula makes the most money and as far you know as far as the money goes they're correct it does um and that's not to, so i mean intentionally they're trying not to poke fun at a or not poke fun but to poke at another gaming system it's literally to go whether you agree or disagree with the point one game is better one game outsells the other one massively uh and you you can make of that what you will um if, if that makes sense i don't want to try to be not too combative in my phrasing no, um, no, no. i i think i think it's definitely perhaps we should have caveated um the the sort of content right at the start of like everything we say is is just a an observation from our own perspectives and it's it's not right. it's not the one truth to rule them all um it's merely you know if if you if you rate a game's success on how uh, you know we are looking at this from a from a business perspective you know what is what Precisely. was the business drive to to the changes that that resulted in the game that we have now um rather than is x game more fun you know or is y game more uh, you know more enjoyable or whatever um Ab you know absolutely. because at the end of the day everyone has different perspectives and different preferences and i think that is one of the beauties of the tabletop gaming industry that if you want you know hyper realistic uh, modern warfare miniatures you can play something like i don't know spectre war games if you want uh you know world war ii company level or company to kind of regimental level battles you can play uh you know flames of war mm -hmm. and but if you want something more tactical with the same uh you know era you can play um uh, uh, call of not called duty what's it called um bolt not action. sure bolt yeah, action. Bolt there action. we go <laughs> i was about to say company of heroes which is the community <laughs> game, which is which is really good <laughs> um and then yeah yeah infinity for sci-fi uh for real you know crazy technical you know exactness and i think games workshop has actually applied that own philosophy to its own systems it's i think they've mentioned it on one of their podcasts or or, or warhammer tv before um that games like adeptus titanicus cater for people that want you know i want to increase the pressure of my left hand power plasma um flux capacitor by 0.3 percent in order to drive more uh steam to my uh you know widget on my feet to make me go faster and people that want to do that there is a game for that absolutely and i think that's as a side note that's one of the genius moves that the games workshop has done within the last like, 10 years or so is to is to put a heck of a lot more focus on their specialist games and to bring back games like blood bowl absolutely fantastic move and, it, and it, as you say it caters for those those wider elements of the community and they uh and and they can do a math calculation on that and determine what is the appropriate level of attention and perspective perspective but appropriate level of attention to give the said game uh to make it profitable to make it enjoyable for people and they'll and they're getting it right 
Um, so just, just going to come back to a point I did I sort of half finished before, which is my own fault. I tangented off, which was talking about the amount of product that Games Workshop gets through and why this sort of became a, a bigger problem for Roma Fantasy, which was that when you have the... So I'm going to talk about that that difference in margin I mentioned earlier, the sales figures between Roma Fantasy Battle and Roma 40,000. When it started to dip off, what you have is that same level of effort, same level of printing, the same number of, of the same amount of stock that they're going through, physical stock. And then what that's happening is that's piling up. They what they want to be doing is they want to be releasing brand new model kits for you because that that's what they want. That's that's what they do. They want to be releasing these gorgeous miniature kits that they've been working on. But if they have say a unit of knights that hasn't finished selling out properly, it's sat in their warehouse, it's sat in distributor warehouses, and it hasn't shifted quickly enough. They can't release the one that follows it. They can't go. We've cut off production for this set. Here is its replacement set. We're going to produce it now. That gets pushed back and back and back and back uh, because they have to get through the stock they've done because they don't want to be writing off that stock. That's just just dead money. Um, and as this is happening, um, you've got you've also then got stock that is piling up in shops. You have gamers that are frustrated because you have gamers that are going. I can see all these new beautiful kits for this other faction that you've just done, but where's mine? Um, where's the one for this other faction I want to play as well? And they're and they're just. I mean, to be down fair, gamers down. gamers will continue to do that regardless, won't they? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but it's it's kind of like it's where it's where that um, concern starts to grow and grow and grow yeah, because it's yeah, slowing yeah, down because uh, the stock issue is piling up. So that that I think is something that builds up over a massive period of time. And one of the key factors that led to the end of Warhammer Fantasy Battle is that they were putting equal effort in. They were making equal amounts of stock or very similar to Warhammer 40,000. And they were not getting, they were not able to refresh their kits enough. And it kind of became itself perpetuating problem because people would get frustrated and therefore buy less of it. And it became a bigger problem as time went on. If that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, there's there's your kind of background to, you know, perhaps the the business driver um, for one of the reasons why Warhammer Fantasy Battle might need replacing. And uh, then we had the introduction of Age of Sigmar. And um, this was one of the things where ultimately I, I think, you know, we are all products of our experiences. And I think the community is in the place that it is because of what it went through. Um, what doesn't kill you makes you makes you stronger and all that jazz. But I, I just wonder what the landscape would look like if they had launched Age of Sigmar at the point when the General's Handbook came out, if that makes sense. Sure, General's Handbook with points, with a structured match play system. If, if Age of Sigma arrived and it was like that, whether we would have still had the emotionally charged um, fracturing of some elements of the community, because yes, the points weren't there. And yes, that was a huge uh, you know, paradigm shift for some people. But I wonder whether the game was still different enough that even if it had arrived with points whether that difference was enough to to be the catalyst to, to push some people away anyway it's a good question i I, uh, I think my perspective on that is that it would have helped uh it's hard to say to what degree i still think you would have had some people that were that were angry about it um and it's it's <clears throat> it's always a difficult thing when you're telling people here is something you've vastly invested in you put a lot of time you put a lot of effort into it a lot of money into it and we're telling you that you're that that's not that it's no longer going to matter because um they did they originally printed uh rules for the for the crossover armies until they had produced more of the brand new factions that they made for age of sigma um so they, they sort of put some effort into that but it's always a difficult thing when you're telling people you've paid money for that but you can't play with it anymore um and in some ways i actually think that that's possibly a problem that games workshop underestimated um because um their fan base is is so well in tuned to i'm going to get new model kits quite regularly uh so i'm going to have old miniatures that i can keep or that i can use for conversions or i can bring them out and they kind of become retro and that's fine but they're they're used to going here's a new kit for this thing i'm gonna i'm gonna buy it and paint it up it's gonna look marvelous um so perhaps off the back of that off the back of the fact that they kind of trained their audience to know that this is a thing that they get used to they possibly underestimated the uh the 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 angst that the change to war to age of sigmar would do um and yeah, I think if if uh, if they had come out with points in the in the earliest days, then then it, it definitely would have been a smoother first year. That's without shadow of a doubt. It's a question, a hard question as to as to how much. Um, at the same time, though, I think credit has to be where I've, I've also said where they failed. A, a credit has to be given to Games Workshop to recognizing that as for the scale of the problem that it was, because they also could have just completely ignored it and done nothing about it. But they went, actually, this hasn't gone right. We need to change it. We need to do this better. And as and coming back to my earlier points, they recognized a point a problem where 
the game quality was not good enough to facilitate the sale of the miniatures so they acted and they acted relatively quickly in terms of a giant company like games workshop anyway um and they brought in points to brought the general's handbooks and it was a stroke of genius and it definitely um it definitely steered the ship to to uh, plane of sailing that's something that i think the people who were involved at the beginning it, i guess it made them feel maybe more more invested in the game so it's almost like we went through the wild west you know it's called the wild west that period <laughs> um you know it, and not not in a kind of gatekeepery way of like oh you weren't there man you know I, i'm a true fan because i stuck with it from originally because i think actually one of the great things is that Edge Sigmon, and hopefully that's that's shown from you know our previous episode uh, where we had all, all sorts of or number of hobbyists from all different perspectives kind of talk about what Edge Sigmon means to them. Um, but I think one of the great things about AOS is is that it's so accessible to new players because of the kind of the you know the originally four page rules, but the the fairly simple on the surface, simple to play, uh, you know, difficult to master style of game um and as someone that's you know for me personally i've j just started playing dungeons and dragons and, and actually d jumped in rather deep, deep end and actually just started dming um and as someone that's never played a, a tabletop role player game before you know you open the the dungeon master's manual and the monster manual and the player's handbook and it's just like oh my goodness like where do i start like wow mm. uh, there's just so much here you know you've got dice rolls for this and you know if you want to tie your shoelace you've got to roll 17 different dice with you know 100 different sides um you know hyperbole just for the sake of it but um i think that's one of the things age of sigma is really good at is the accessibility to new gamers um but that said i think that amongst the kind of community that were part of it during the wild west there's definitely that sense of like this is our game that we have been part of and you know we feel part of because the community drove the the change um not you know games workshop decided to do it for you know whether for whatever reason mm. um, but the community feels so invested as part of that change if you were just if you were just playing you know mocomp or south coast pool choices and stuff like that if you were just doing that by playing that you you've con contributed to the system because yeah. by playing that you've given feedback to potentially the people that did it or you played at a tournament that did it and the tos have taken that into account and ultimately some of those tos were then invited to uh to, you know the likes of um you know ben curry and uh, the team at facehammer um and, and a, a couple of others were invited to uh be part of that first stage of of playtesting and general's handbooking um and so just by taking part in one of those tournaments that ran those systems that contributed to all the work that went behind the scenes you have inadvertently been part of the change so uh, that's really cool it, it absolutely is it's, it's a stroke of genius uh, again um i mentioned earlier the this sort of awakening of games workshop when they when the, when the new ceo came in and whenever it was 2013 2012 something like that, and uh, and that's when you started seeing a lot of big corporate changes in terms of how they operated one of those big changes they made was they they genuinely and truly restarted their community interaction because there was, i remember the long period of time when i was sort of early 20s teenager when i just think we never heard anything from games workshop they would just put the new releases out and that was it they wouldn't talk to people um you didn't, you didn't get the sense that 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 they knew they had a community which is which was odd and that's just gone now they've managed to dispel that brilliantly by the way that they speak to people their uh, social media presence is so much more active and they talk they engage with their fans during new releases and this is another prime example of they when they listened uh when they knew they needed to and they listened in a way that exactly as you say they've made the their um the fans that were already invested in the game they've made them feel even more invested and they've become a core audience member um and these are people that are so much as a result of this kind of interaction, they're so much less likely to want to go and deviate and do something else. They feel a sense of loyalty, like they've been kind of paid back for their time. And it's, it's a really clever thing to do. And, and um, they've t it's it's overall come from a negative in the sense that the beginning year years of uh, Age of Sigmar were a little bit in flux, the Wild West, as you say. Uh, but they've managed to turn that, they've coup, they've turned it, it's, it's a coup, they've turned it into a, into a positive. Um, and it's, it's ultimately a, a massive PR win. For exactly. Some, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, we, we uh, we launched this game in a, in a way that could have been done better and uh, and well done for for doing it. <laughs> it's always right. like that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of, it's uh, it's it's kind of like the the miniature game version of a redemption arc. Like the person that was good all the way along doesn't get anywhere near as much attention as the person that started out bad and then became good. Um, yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. So this was this was Games Workshop's kind of. We've had the origin story of mm. 
a former fantasy battle and then we had maybe the fall from grace the right know, the, the superhero battling a dark version of themselves and now uh and now we're back on the redemption arc yep and then the, the anti the anti-hero appears and starts doing all you know age of sigma i was deadpool the, the first day with all the west i was deadpool came out and i don't want to do any of this kind of stuff and then by the end of it he learns to uh become part of x-force and goes for it and, and, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's okay one or two or three moments in your lifetime become a hero all that kind of stuff age of sigma was deadpool <laughs> there we go Job done. So um, we've uh, we've sort of analysed perhaps why the the need for change was there, and we talked about the release. But you know, what about going forward, the future of Age of Sigmar, and uh, you know, into the more modern era? What, what's your kind of take on that? I think Games Workshop uh, are in a in a very comfortable position right now. I think that they in the sort of the nineties when they were the big, the kind of the only real big player in, in miniatures games, they created this bubble around themselves where they couldn't really be touched. And they kind of rested on their laurels a little bit. And that's when that allowed for the indie gaming companies to, the rise of the indie gaming companies to occur in sort of the early 2000s. Um, and some competition started to come into place. A Privateer Press, uh, Corvus Belly, um, Weird. And they started to come and occupy the space. And the that kind of burst the bubble a little bit. Obviously, it didn't really hurt Games Workshop, but they recognized there was enough of a problem there and enough of a problem with what they were doing to want to change things, which led to this sort of new way of doing things since the new executive came in. Um, and, it's, and what they've done is they've constructed basically a new bubble. They have gone, we have... T- now got a iron control iron grip control of the casual market we've got a very stable organized play circuit as well doing very well for ourselves we've got into the cycle of rapid really rapidly releasing uh new gaming kits for people to make and um, we've got two very highly successful games in warmer 40,000 major sigma and they're in a good place what i'm expecting to see from games workshop for the next few years is for them to perform another shift and i don't know what that will be i don't know how soon it will come it might take a long period of time but the, the thing i'm slightly concerned about with games workshop's current plan is that it can't last is that people will start to tire of the sheer pace at which they're putting out brand new kits uh, and I think this is a bit more of a problem with Warhammer 40,000 than it is with Warhammer Fantasy. But I think the rate of the rate of rules coming out from Warhammer 40,000 is a little bit too quick, and it's possibly going to start to uh, eat away sort of at the attrition of the fan base, uh, attrition rate of the fan base rather, and the people going to start to get exhausted with the rate of new rules coming out. I don't think this is as much of a problem with Age of Sigmar. I think that that's going to be stable for much longer. But at the same time, Warhammer 40,000 is a much older game than Age of Sigmar, so it's kind of more expected that'll be more of a problem there. Um, I suppose we've we've had our um i guess soft reset of 40k for eighth edition um you know when when the if you follow it that when the great rift um opened and they changed the narrative of the game it's always been kind of one minute to midnight and now it's a couple of minutes past midnight Um, (laughs) and we've just we've just had um you know in fact tomorrow it sees the release of ninth edition 40k and that is I guess a you know a 0.5 edition change rather than mm. a, a hard you know a hard change or a new edition completely. I mean, it's, you know it's marketed very much marketed as, as new 40k and, and this is ninth version ninth edition 40k, but it is it is building on the success of eighth edition rather than uh, a, a whole new edition in itself. Yeah, and I think that you know is is that enough? Is that enough to kind of to be the resale, or, or are we going to see a more a more lo- a more larger <laughs> a more significant change? in the future so uh, that's my prediction is i think that i don't know how soon it'll be but i think that that's coming from a 40,000. i think age of sigma is going to be stable for a good while yeah uh it's a it's a young enough game games workshop are doing uh fantastically well with it uh releasing brand new factions the deepkin for instance since i think went down went down very well and some of the new stuff that they've done um they're keeping an eye on how the community is growing and they're they're it's doing very well i think it's in a really good place i think warmer 40,000 is now in a place where it is starting to show its age and because that is like of the two poster children, that is, it's probably still the slightly more important one. If you look, you know, based on sales figures, um, and I think that that's starting to show its signs of age. Um, it's hitting this problem that I, that I something else I talked about on Twitter called critical mass, and I think that Warmer Fantasy Battle had this issue as well when I talked about the stock. But the the problem of critical mass it happens very commonly in indie games and over a shorter period of time. What that basically means is there's too much stuff in the game, and or it's moving too quickly and it becomes an impenetrable wall for new players. Um, and the moment that that happens, you cut off your new players, a game is only shrinking. You're reliant on your veterans already in the game and just literally by the process of people move on, people get old, people die, that veteran pool is going to shrink over a period of time. 
um so keeping new players keeping access to your to your game for new players is is incredibly important because it, it means that a game can remain stable in its number of players it can even grow and become more popular um, and i just worry that um this the maybe it's mainly the speed of releases of rules for over 40,000 and this and the sheer number of factions they have now is it it can be quite intimidating and they're making great strides to try and keep it open for new players they they as we mentioned earlier about the sort of the the potential impenetrability of games like infinity if you're not up for that level of complexity um they're trying to keep the core rules of Age of Sigmar and of Romer 40,000 as simple as they can. But even that's only going to last so long when you have a sheer number of releases and factions and things for people to learn. This element of, I guess you could summarize it as, I want to play this game, but to play this game competitively, if, I, if that's what I want to do, I have to learn this much information. Like, let's say, 100 units of information. A game that is old and has added additional factions to keep people interested. It has had additional releases for all the factions. So you have FAQs and extra documents and general handbooks and other things that you need to to be aware of to know to play the game and suddenly you have 500 units of information or however else you want to mention you want to measure it and people can look at that and go that's too intimidating too much i don't want to play and and, and that's a very dangerous moment for any miniatures game um, i think we definitely we definitely had a, uh, a degree of uh, critical mass reduction perhaps in the transition from 7th to 8th edition 40k um you know a huge amount so i think the the bloat of things like formations was certainly one of the things that um, and and the way they impacted the game was one of the things that people often knew, cited as an example of why um why 40k was quite frustrating to play and i think 8th edition was uh, a nice reduction of that um it has however i i feel personally it did pick up uh, an amount of complexity yeah. um, since then. Uh, and I think things like the Psychic Awakening, whilst they're fantastic campaign books, if you're not keeping up with them in terms of rules, I think that's where um, you do get a little bit of the kind of uh, gotcha side of things. Is mm. You don't need to buy Psychic Awakening to if you, if you don't play that faction, but it, it might give two other factions new rules. And I suppose if you're not... I, I guess it's the same as a Codex, but um, if... You're playing, you know, someone with a with an Astro Militarum army that's playing with Psychic Awakening rules could have a, a vastly different army uh, with someone that's just playing with a Codex. And I suppose if if there's a book coming out every month to change it, um, as we saw at the end of the eighth edition, 40k, then I suppose that's when you kind of get like almost um, like you get a little bit of release fatigue. But you you might come to the game and think, oh, this is this is actually very different to what I was expecting. Right, precisely. Um, it's a good way of summarizing it. So I think one of the things that uh, seems to be maybe a, a kind of a, a turning point in the Age of Sigmar narrative is that we have this um, you know, mystery around the reforging of Stormcast Eternals. They are, they are mm. effectively immortal, but every time they are reforged, they they lose a little bit of themselves. And and where does that go? And I think I think that if you're looking for a a kind of you know minute hand like clunking you know like you know you know like a big a big church clock yep. or something you know and it goes chunk as it as it you know waft not wafts that's a very very wrong 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 verb as <laughs> it wafts towards midnight very, very camply you know um skipping towards midnight uh no as it as it like you know clunks towards midnight very intimidatingly and it's very quick and sudden and has a good strong noise to it and whatever that that verb is um that will be, I think, the 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 fall of the Stormcast Eternals, or perhaps the fracturing of them as a faction. Interesting, I, I, the I Horus think... Heresy, if you will. Oh, I like it. I like it. The, the one of the things I think the Games Workshop, another one of the things that I think they've done right is that when they realised things were starting to go against them, and they made all these changes, the Awakening I'm talking about, is they recognised that they needed to move their main story arcs on. Again, I can remember this long period of time where it felt like you learned the story, small things would happen, um, like the, the the 13th Black Crusade, for example. Uh, and you say small things, that's a massive happening, but they weren't moving the main story arc on. Um, and the thing they've learned from that is they can't do that. They can't keep it still. They have to keep it moving. Now, and, and the two approaches that they took to Armor Fantasy Battle and Armor 40,000 were very different. You mentioned it was kind of like a soft change for Armor 40,000. I think that's a good way of putting it because they didn't blow up the game and replace it with something else. They said, okay, we need to get, we need to do a couple of different things. We need to do new miniatures. Uh, we need to make bigger space marines. We need to um, move the main story arc forwards. And you mentioned it's all going past the Doomsday Clock past midnight. And I think that's, that's all it's all keeping it moving it's doing well um warmer fantasy they did the end times 
And that is so much more extreme and it, it advances the story further on, but it advances it with the, with the intention to end the story or to give, you know, a, a finish to the book, if you want to say it. Um, and it, it got people massively interested, massively involved. Um, and what it did for the end of Roma Fantasy Battle is it kind of gave people this wonderful period of time to remember where they could play all kinds of stuff. Their, their favorite heroes were getting involved in all sorts of big elements of story. A lot of them were being killed off. It kind of became a bit more Game of Thrones. You've got this whole element of the, the, this apocalyptic occurrence happening, and it's a good excuse to sort of end the game. But it also ends it in a way that drives sales because people want to get involved in end times. It gets rid of the old stock that they don't that they want to make sure is not just stuck in warehouses anymore uh, and it gets people to go we have a positive experience with the end of Roma fantasy battle this was a fantastic thing to play with uh, it was very extreme rules we played these massive apocalypse games uh and you kind of it's a it's a love letter to your veterans of your game that, that love it um and they're still doing this with it with age of sigma they're keeping the story moving they kind of have intentionally they, as far as i've been told they haven't fully fleshed out the world of age of sigma and i think that's actually a good decision because it gives them room to move it gives them room to build and do other, other things with it and they'll continue to flesh it out at a good pace but what they absolutely won't do is sit still and go this story's done um and for any period of time they're going to keep it moving periodically uh, and that's a very smart choice for them to, to keep people engaged because the the minute while the miniatures are obviously a massive selling point the story behind those miniatures is is, ju- is, a, is just as if not more important than the games themselves it gets people invested in characters gets people invested in different unit types because they've heard them do heroic things and keeping that moving keeping it fresh is uh, is going to facilitate itself and again great move i think that's the the other point of the triad of driving sales is you have uh you know the quality of the miniatures the quality of your game uh, as in the rules and then you also have the quality of your law Yes. And I think, you know, if you look at, you know, we're not bashing Corvus Belly at all uh, by rec- mentioning Infinity, but, um, you know, if, if you like the technical side of um, of, of the game and, and the rules are great for you, and, and, and I, I, you know, I enjoyed the game when I played it. So, you know, let's say I liked those rules to an extent and I liked, I was happy enough with the, the anime aesthetic. Um, you know, some of the factions weren't for me, but I was, you know, plenty of miniatures that I really enjoyed. Um, but was I invested in it as a narrative background to, to a gaming system? <laughs> No, of course I wasn't. It was like, you know, you are super secret special forces, you know, fighting in a in a corporate environment. And it's just like that there wasn't, you know, it was very syndicate if you've ever played that game, which is a great game. But uh, it was just very kind of, I don't want to say generic because the story was unique-ish, um, but it just wasn't, it didn't have that kind of narrative hook for me. Sure, sure. I wasn't, I wasn't fighting a faction because I loved the, the, the lore. I wouldn't read something and go, wow, I really want to play that story. I would look at a model and go, oh, that's really cool. Or I'd look at a model's rules and go, that's really good. There was never that narrative. Whereas that's very different to 40K and, and Age of Sigmar or previously fantasy uh, that I can read a Black Library book and go, you know, my my 30K projects, my Horus Heresy projects that have, have never <laughs> really seen the light of day are absolute testament to that because i will read a black library novel from the horus heresy series and buy something because of that I yep and that they're even they're even tapping into that with more modern releases with the with some of the primarchs going into 40k as well because they've gone you've you've read the horus heresy books i, I read them i think they're fantastic uh and you've read about the primarchs and there's and they're really cool characters to read about you know what we're going to bring some of them back into 40k again genius move like that you're you obviously have 30k as well um but then double doubling down on that and going we're also going to make the horus heresy series work for us in terms of Roma 40,000, bringing some of these characters to the fore that you read about. And they're vastly different now, sure, because a massive amount of time has, has passed in between, but they're recognisable to you. And obviously the the kind of the, the bias of the fact that we have been invested in this background um, for for years has to be taken into into account. You know, a game that perhaps you got into, a, gener- a science fiction game that you got into your 20s, uh, are you going to have the same feeling about, uh, you know, g- generic sci-fi warrior A, um, mm. than you are going to have about someone like Gasgol Thraka, who, you know, you had the metal model of when you were 11, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, no, of course, you, you have to take that into consideration. But um, I guess, you know, that's demonstrated by things like Lumineth Realm Nords, or uh, no, but then you've still got oh, Techless. No, it is. You've, well, actually, it's, you know, it's a great example. It's, it is actually, yeah. it's, it's new, it's new, but it's yep. still Techless. And right. even the Ardeneth Deepkin, they're still Techless. And even the dwarfs, you know, the, the Duarden, like they're still Slayers. They're Fire Slayers, new, right. mm, spelt with a Y, but they're still <laughs> tapping into that, like, you know what Slayers are like. They're naked, hairy ginger dudes. 
Like, <laughs> and, 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 and you're like, I remember those naked hairy ginger dudes. These look like naked hairy ginger dudes on fire. But, you know, this is tapping into all my kind of like, um, you know, positive receptors in my brain. That's telling me that I do like naked hairy ginger dudes. Right, precisely. Which is a different <laughs> podcast of itself, actually. It definitely is. But, but Sign up to my OnlyFans for more. <laughs> yep, yep, Patreon. Um, so um, the nostalgia is a great selling point, and Games Workshop are not blind to that. And they're still doing it, even with uh, what the, the latest release for the, what's the, what they call the new High Elves. They, they've got Eltharian in there as well, I think, in that sort of... Yeah, absolutely. The, M- the empty yeah. armor, fantastic model. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know what? That is Games Workshop showing off as a side point. We're going to make a suit of armor that doesn't have anybody in it, and it's still going to stand up properly. It's genius. Uh, but um, if you can make that's, it work, that's a, that's a big. You know, people go, like, "Oh, 3D printers will be the end of Games Workshop," and that's them just saying, "3D print this." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Trinity, dodge this. That's 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 Games Workshop. <laughs> Precisely. They're, they're, just, they're just showing off at this point, uh, but. But um, they're tapping into it in, in very interesting ways because they're going, these are, these are the characters that you remember as they were. Here's the sexy new version of it that you just find irresistible. And here's what's happened to them in between. And people are going, new players are going, that's a new character. That's kind of cool. And veterans are going, oh, I remember them from something else. Absolutely. gonna. They've, they've already got my money. Sell it to me. Here's Take my money now. Um, it's very strong. Yeah. And I think that that brings me excellently, Jamie, we're, we're good at this, excellently segued onto my final point, <laughs> which um, I want to ask you on your thoughts on uh, the the old world game that they're bringing out. So, w- what do you think is the drive behind that? Is it um, to tap into that nostalgia? Is it to uh, tap into the market that that maybe f- uh, you know s- fragmented off and is playing the, the Ninth Age or Kings mm-hmm. of War? You know, what do you see from that? Is it is it going to be a twenty eight mil uh, rank and flank game, or is it going to be something completely different? Because surely, if they release a game that uh, and sorry, I don't mean to answer the the question, but if they release a, a 28 mil game that can be played on square bases and ranks and flanks, then what's going to drive the people who have sat there with their people who are sat there with their high elf armies going, I don't want to play with, you know, bases unless they've got right angles on the corners, um, not playing that Age of Sigma nonsense. And I don't like Lumineth Realm Lords because they're different. What's going to get those people with that mindset specifically from buying high elves mark two? So they're going to do one of two things. And if you look at how Specialist Games has operated over the last 10 years, then it's those two things, I think, are where I'm drawing these examples from. Uh, so they're either going to do Blood Bowl with it, which is they're going to make, they're going to listen to the community that is out there, which in this case would be, as you say, Ninth Age and, and Kings of War. They're going to have a look at, the, they're going to listen to their playtesters and they're going to talk, listen to the, the, the little birds that they have outside and then and determine that they actually don't need to make that many changes to the system as it was at some point in its past. Uh, Blood Bowl being a clear example of this because they spoke to the NAF who kept the game going for a long time and they actually the game they released didn't change dramatically from when it was last official or, or, or when it was run by the NAF that's one way they could take it the other way they could take it is they could do uh, let's say the best example I'm going to say is Adeptus Titanicus which is there's it's kind of comes sort of from epic but they have made a whole new game from it they've changed the scale they've changed everything about it and they've made a brand new experience and they've taken quite a big punt on it actually and gone people are going to want to buy this and let's go for it and i honestly it's sitting on the fence but i don't know i can give you those two options of what they're going to do it's either going to be more of the same with brand new miniatures that people are going to love for nostalgia reasons including how the game operates or it's going to be something completely different uh and i can't really narrow it down further than that we're going to have to wait and see because they haven't really released enough information on what's going to happen um it, I, i'm almost certain of the fact it's going to be you can take inspirations from what they've done from 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 30k with the horus heresy stuff it's gonna i think it's gonna be controlled by specialist games the way in which they're promoting it is that they're being very clever and tapping into the nostalgia they're tapping they're still they're still making money from what they did with end times and how they finished it and gone remember this remember how much you loved it and they're dragging it out and dragging it out and still not telling as much about it it's a very clever way to generate um conversation and buzz um but you remember that, kislev you liked kislev what right? else do you like bears it, it, precisely precisely and who doesn't like armored bears I mean, nobody. Honestly, uh, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't think I wanted to play this game, but then they said bears, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Sell me. Yeah. Sell me your square bases. And then they said armored bears, and you're like, well, I was already. And I was just it. like, stuff <laughs> <laughs> has got real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sell it. Sell it to me more. I will buy twice the amount um, because they're armored. So, but um, but that's that's the two things I think they're gonna do. Um, if I was to have to pick one of the two. I'd hedge my bets on saying they're gonna tap more into the nostalgia. They're going to release more that you remember um 
but that's honestly just a wild guess. It could also be the Titanicus version where they do something completely different. And I'm I'm very interested to see what they do. Um, the I think that people shouldn't necessarily get their hopes up for one of the other because I think people might go, oh, it's going to be exactly like Warhammer Fantasy Battle used to be. It's going to be rank and flank game, as you're saying, and it it might not be that. They might just be using the nostalgia to drive the marketing for it. Um, and it might be something completely different. So be be prepared for that because it's a valid strategy. They've used it before. They could use it again. I suspect that um, it will be a modern version and a different system on a different scale. So I don't think they're going to do um, you know more of the same, but but newer and better. Like yep. I, don't, I don't think they're going to do a blood bowl. Um, I and this is just you know me guessing. I wasn't a huge fantasy player. You know I, I dabbled in it here or there, but. Um, never played any tournaments with it. Um, I think, well, actually, that's probably uh, an interesting one of, like, is that what I think is going to happen or is that what I want to happen? And I guess it's probably more of the latter because what I would like to see in this this new system is is a new system, is a brand new system, a really modern take on tabletop you know, mass battles, possibly at a smaller scale. Um, whilst, you know, 28 mil will be great for maybe conversion opportunities for Age of Sigma stuff, I'm not going to play another 28 uh, mil war game. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, so it, for in order for me to buy into it and play it, it would have to be so different to Age of Sigma rather than just, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, you know, 9.0 or whatever yeah um, so it just becomes square bases versus round base at that point well exactly and i'm 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 in i'm in i'm a round base guy at the moment you know that's that's where i'm at so um i would dabble in a game that was different enough to be to be different and and the law is is there and, and it would it would likely get me back in for that you know I'd, I'd armored bears are all in kind of thing um but yeah it would have to be it would have to be different enough for me to play it. and so i guess that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for a, a, a brand new game that i could play mass battles at that at a smaller scale probably so you know maybe a a, a balance between warmaster and and warhammer so, that's good yeah. I, li- I like that i like that idea actually yeah. mm, we shall we shall see so Jamie, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, really appreciate it. And it's actually been an incredibly interesting chat. And I hope our listeners um, have uh, found it interesting. Um, if you would like out there to, or if someone out there would like rather to get in touch with you, what's the best way, Jamie? Uh, the best way at the moment is going to be just through Twitter. So it's uh, at Jamie Perkins. And that's where you can find all my thoughts. I post, I post ga- uh, daily daily gaming thoughts about all the kinds of things in the industry, not just about Games Workshop, but if you want to hear things about War Machine, about, um, about Malifaux, weird. Anything I think is interesting that's going on in the gaming industry. Uh, I'm also partway through uh, writing a blog, which is on the same topic. It's on the gaming industry in general and the interesting movers and shakers and what's going on there. It's not quite finished yet, but it'll be out in the near future. So keep your eye out for that. <laughs> fantastic um i think your your today's uh, miniature game design thoughts was uh or from a couple of days ago rather uh, was really interesting and i think this is kind of alludes to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast about uh you know taking changes slowly and uh, with thought and that's game balance isn't a thin line that every element of the game needs to hit it's a wide area that everything in the game needs to fall within and that's uh yeah just i think that's a really nice uh, nice way to think about game balance and design so all that remains is for me to ask you the infamous priority role two questions so conscious you don't play the game so hopefully your answers will be quite interesting uh if you could keep one thing about age of sigma let's say the game is going to be rewritten and uh, you could keep one thing about the game, what would that be? And secondly, um, if you could only change one thing about the game, the rest of the game is going to stay the same forever, what would that be? So what would you keep first? So hard to answer these ones, as you say, but I'll try and give the perspective of someone that's sort of considered buying into the game a few times and not quite, which is I very nearly bought in um for the was it the lumen f box i think it was it recently for yeah, the so um if they did that again but for my spiky dark elves i used to play i don't know what they're called now but, um and they did a very similar thing that would probably be enough if i do this but the spiky ones <laughs> would probably be enough to get me into the game which is it's not talking necessarily much about the game itself i understand it's kind of like a sidestep to the question but as you said i don't play um something to change about it it's a tough one i guess so maybe maybe we rephrase that. What? So I guess if if um, if we look at the two questions in a slightly different light, then mm. if the question was what one thing would need to be in the game for you to take to want to take part in it, it would be spiky dark elves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so so Malarian's lot, as he's known now. Um, yep. And uh, I guess maybe the second question becomes what one thing about Edge Sigmar would have to change, you know, be removed, let's say, to to get you to want to play it. So what exists in the game right now that you don't like that if you were let's say spiky get spiky elves came out what is the one thing that at that point you would like to see gone from the game so i think the one of the dangerous concepts to play with that i, that I think um one more 40,000 is, is is gets it quite wrong at the moment and i just hope the age of sigma doesn't do this uh which is that they play too much with uh different faction alliances and allowing you to play combine different things together because what that does is it takes your very nice separated venn diagrams of your in, of your individual factions and it just mashes them all together and you lose faction identity uh so much and they and they all end up kind of playing however they want to play and you kind of give the players too much power there um as i say faction identity is something very important to defend yeah no i i completely agree i think um the ninth edition of 40k has taken steps to um you know on, on ashes of imperium we were very lucky steve and i were very lucky to receive a preview copy so we, we've sort of seen this and they've also talked about it on warhammer community and and you know it will arrive tomorrow so everyone can kind of see this but um they've changed how armies are structured to address that so right. they're they're taking steps to and they have taken steps throughout eighth edition to kind of d- uh, decrease the um the reasons to take soup lists, they call them. Um, yes. And, and, and I guess encourage less, less sort of negative benefits, but more uh, sort of negative, de- you know, debuffs, but more, you know, you get benefits for sticking within a faction. And that's something that ninth edition is, is, has taken steps to as well. And I think, I suppose like examples in Age of Sigma would be, you know, allies are one thing, sure, but, um, you know, things like mercenaries kind of broke that somewhat. Mm. And that didn't really impact match play in the way that people thought it was going to um, or people feared it was going to. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with faction identity. It is really important. Yep. So it's important to defend. It, it sounds like Games Workshop are taking the correct steps. They've, they've learned from a lesson there with one of the games and applying it elsewhere. And I hope they continue to do that, basically. So um, protect faction identity. Awesome. Jamie, thank you very much for joining uh, joining us today. And uh, hopefully... Uh, We'll convince you to play Edge of soon and we'll have a game in at a tournament when, when those things are happening. That'd be wonderful, yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll speak again. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priority roll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve. Or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority World.